Rocky Waters college basketball has run into in the days leading up to Christmas. We hope everyone is safe and healthy, enjoying their holiday season, hopefully getting home for family. I know I am back in Albany recording this podcast. So if you notice the lack of intro music, because I don't have my full editing suite available to me as I uh, get to work. Not that my, not that this podcast is a highly edited show, Brad, but uh, I, I realized I left the computer that has the, uh, the track for the intro. So apologies for the lack of intro. Uh, and uh, been a eventful uh, last several days. I mean, I my guess is we were probably in single digit total cancellations, at least single digit teams that had had to pause. Brad, when we spoke last, and uh, lots has changed. Yeah, when when was the the tipping point? Was it last Wednesday? Well, it was like mo- last Monday and Tuesday were when all the NBA teams were doing it. And I was like reading it, and I was like, you know. Maybe college basketball is just being spared because we're not doing as much testing. And then I was like, no, nah, no, we're not. It just took us a little while. But yeah, we went with only it was like Washington, Nevada, and all the teams that went to the South, South Dakota, Dakota. Thing, Washington, Nevada, and then and and Arizona then, State played through it to start the year. They had a couple guys out with Corona, but. And there were a couple now teams that got bounced out of like Bahamas things, like mid majors, like Abilene Christian couldn't go to the Bahamas because they had to test for that and got pop positive. But it's so weird because like right as we start recording, Daryl Morcel is pop positive and is not going to play for Marquette. So you say, well, you know, why are they still playing the game? But if, because everyone's going to, I mean, is this a better time with everyone on both those teams is going to get it in, in three days? Uh, but at the same time, it's like you're going to cancel a game to worry about not wanting to cancel future games. Like, right. He's got to play. And right. Well, that, I think that's the challenge. And, you know, look, we don't want to get too, too deep in the weeds here. But essentially, it doesn't take a rocket science to figure out rocket scientist to figure out that what's happening right now is that in droves, fully vaccinated and in some cases boosted. You know, Syracuse has 14 uh, out of 20 players positive. All of them are boosted, according to Jim Beheim. Fully vaccinated players, including boosted players, are popping positive in droves. And the traditional protocol, as I understand it, is that a team essentially has one player or two players have symptoms. Those players have to get tested. They they show up as positive. So then you test the whole team. And when you test the whole team, you find like all these asymptomatic positives. You have to shut down because you don't no longer, you no longer have five players to go play the game. It's a problem. Um, I think the obvious thing we first need to do is we need to get rid of the forfeit rule, right? I mean, it's it's preposterous that we're we're forfeiting games. I mean, because why like why are we forfeiting? Because it's not a forfeit really, because right. it doesn't count toward your M- your NCAA tournament resume. So that 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 begs the question. Why are we doing forfeiting and assigning a fake win-loss to your conference record? Because all it's going to do is muck up the conference tournament seating even more. Yeah. With these yeah. fake results mixed in, and it's going to be confusing. When, you know how DePaul's 0-2 in the Big East and they're 9-1 overall. Yep. It, it doesn't make any sense. There, 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 there's not a single meaningful reason to have the forfeit except. You know, when I tweeted, someone responded that the reason is shame. And I and I think he hit the nail on the head. The reason was trying to shame teams into 
getting vaccinated because the, the thought right. was if, if you get vaccinated, then you won't have these outbreaks. Correct. Uh, but with, with the Omicron, that, that is no longer the case, certainly. Yes. Uh, still, we had plenty of great games this weekend. Uh, I know I was over at the uh, uh, sportsbook.com gambling all weekend. It was a mixed success. Uh, it was tough to lose some some cool games for the schedule, but you know, still plenty more to come, certainly. And so we're looking forward to watching. We'll be breaking them down. But you know, there's certainly work we have to get done here, right? I mean, look, we have to change this four-foot rule. It, as you said, Brad, it's, it's all, it was all about in you know, August and September when no one was getting COVID if they were va- vaccinated, making sure that those people, you know, m- making sure the teams that, that did that were, you know, that were, were making sure that team that wasn't vaccinated, excuse me, uh, was getting punished for not getting vaccinated. But now, now it's just dumb luck and everyone's catching COVID. So like, what, what's the point of the forfeit? There's also obviously a larger conversation to have um, about, well, there, there's two conversations. There's one is, what are the thresholds to play, right? I think there needs it needs to be a strong threshold of if you have seven players, you're playing, right? I think it's, this is ridiculous where it's like Ohio State says they have enough players to play against. Ohio State said they would have enough players to play against Kentucky in the uh, Vegas Classic. Or who were they supposed to play? North Carolina, excuse me. Um, they had enough players to play, but they didn't want to risk the players having to fly out to Vegas and then having symptoms and getting tested the day before the game and then being stuck quarantining in Vegas, right? Like we, we, we need to stop this. You know, if you have enough players, you should have to play the game. Uh, and then the other conversation obviously is like just larger testing protocols. I will say this from what I've read about, you know, this variant and whatever, the idea that like, like the current testing protocol makes zero sense. You either need to test everyone super regularly so that you catch the positives before they rip through the team or you need to like not test anyone at all because the current strategy is like as soon as we find out there's one we test everyone and like eight people are positive and now we're shut down but most of the people wouldn't have ever known they had it it's like what are we doing so the nfl is kind of working towards that i think we'll see that change start to come in the next few weeks but until then we're gonna have disrupted schedules it's just something something we're gonna have to deal with it's frustrating it sucks it's not a place anyone wanted to be uh but I, I, I really don't know how avoidable it is at this point without, I mean, really a substantive change in, in protocol, in protocols, but also, I mean, the situation, like at some point there's only so much control we have over the fact that just like, there's a lot of COVID out there right now. Like a lot of people are getting it. And if we treat it the way we treat it right now, there's not going to be, there's going to be teams that are going to get wiped out. There are going to be teams that have 10 players get sick um you know fortunately we're not really concerned that they're going to be severely ill because of you know vaccines and things like that so you know hopefully uh hopefully we 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 stem the tide here obviously there's no no uh doesn't seem like there's any interest from anyone in saying like why why like stop playing which i've said from the beginning like we didn't stop last year when it was like way more dangerous what are we doing now but you know here we are so glad that glad that everyone is so far staying healthy through this all but uh frustrating nonetheless brad to uh, kind of be in the spot again with game cancellations and weird schedules and all that no i i mean at at, at some point we got to say like if we're still doing all these precautions now then we're going to be doing them forever right right and that's, we'll, that's the question is like if we're doing this now like what like will we cancel games like will games get canceled next year will games get canceled the year after like it it just doesn't seem to be it, it doesn't seem like there's a like post-COVID sports world that involves no cancellations without 
a post-COVID sports world where you let players play if they're positive. You know, that's the only or stop testing them, right? Like the, the, those those seem like the three three avenues. So just kind of a matter of time, I think. And, you know, Providence lucked out pretty significantly because they're, you know, I, I I was looking forward to going to the game tomorrow. I already planned out I was going to go to Johnny Rockets, maybe stop at, at uh, Auntie Anne's, get a pretzel. But, you know, Georgetown at home is a quad four game. <laughs> so might, might as well just pretend like that never even happened. Right? Never even uh, was on the schedule. Uh, you know, we don't need that. We we don't need any of that going into the holidays. Um, yeah, no, no, all upside, all downside, no upside. So. Um, and then, yeah. So those cancellations and postponements, I, I I feel like started happening on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Um, and and all I cared about because the Friday slate was 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 pretty light. We had Villanova Creighton at night. We had a just a waste of a two hours. I watched of Bonnie's Virginia Tech. Oh my gosh! Uh, but you know, the, the Thursday slate was planned to be light. I think even the Wednesday slate was planned to be light. Um, and then Saturday was going to be a really strong slate. Um, but obviously, all all I cared about was that Providence UConn was going to go off without a hitch. Um, let's 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 start with that game. So, I mean, it, it was a good defensive game. For for Providence, I mean, obviously the blown very, very lead. Very physical. It, very physical. Very physical. And, you know, another great game from Ed, Ed Croswell. Who would have ever thought that? Uh, you know, I think it's really encouraging for Providence where you have games where, you know, Noah Orkler can't hit a shot in this game. They miss so many free throws that you know, they, they miss a ton of bunnies around the rim. And aside from a blown lead, I mean, they, they kind of led comfortably the whole game. Uh, I... I I was certainly worried at the end, uh, but to have AJ Reeves step up and hit shots, you know, Watson hit some timely shots. Durham hit a very timely basket down the stretch. Croswell double figures again. Uh, the fact that they have different guys stepping up different games and able to weather the storm and get another quad one win on the road, uh, you got to feel pretty good as a province fan. I mean, absolutely. Um you kind of knew this game was going to be physical as, you know, physical as heck. I know I was, um, you know, kind of looking through the lines that morning over at Bovada, and I was like, man, that number in the 130s over under, like, sign me up for an under. And that that bet fortunately cashed uh, for me. But it was like, it was such a battle. And I think the thing for Providence is they're far from a perfect team. You know, they don't have elite guard play. You know, hey, Jared Bynum had a great game. Jared Bond did have a great game. A.J. Reeves had a really good game shooting the basketball. Al Durham made the clutch shot late. But, you know, they, 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 this team has its flaws, but there's a togetherness and a toughness about them that I think is impressive. And, you know, at some point, the resume speaks for itself, right? They have a road win at Wisconsin, granted without Johnny Davis. They have a road win at UConn, granted without Adama Sinogo. Uh, they have a win over Texas Tech at home. They have the neutral court win over Northwestern, which is a solid win, a potential quadrant one win. You know, this is this is a very good basketball team. You know, this is a one of these surprises in the country, I think. They're just they're just scrappy and tough and they've got three thousand point scores and a fourth on the way and 
AJ Reeves by the end of the year. And, you know, Manaya's in there scrapping his scrapping away. Croswell. I mean, did you envision, Brad, preseason any Watson Croswell lineups being at all successful? I didn't expect any Croswell any lineups with Croswell being successful. If if you had told me on October first, you know, that Ed Ed Croswell would not only be in the rotation playing well, but also playing some power forward. I tell you to, you know, you're an idiot. You you know anything about college basketball? Stop uh, talking to me. But you know, once once Rafael Castro redshirted, I was like, oh my god, we're going to use this Croswell guy now. I mean, he was he was horrendous last year, and he was horrendous in the first four or five games this year. And then he just turned it on against Texas Tech, and he, you know, even the games in that stretch where he hasn't scored. His uh, defense has been good. He's moving well. He rebounds. He plays super hard, finishing much better around the rim. I mean, that's 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 found gold. I mean, transfer in the second year, he was an unexpected waiver guy, right? He was supposed to sit out um, at you know at at LaSalle. I mean, he he put up big numbers. He was the best offensive rebounder in the country according to the Kempom percentages, uh, and now he's starting to 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 really show that. Uh, I mean, I remember. Putting on a Providence game for the first time this year, and I saw Croswell, and I didn't know who it was. Like he looks so different. He changed his hair. Obviously, he used to have the dreads, but he, like, Croswell was this like hulking kind of overweight forward who could barely jump over a textbook. And you're like, how is this guy like as good as he is? And like you see him now, and he looks like, like physically like an Emmett Holt. Like lean, strong. I mean, he has been a revelation around the basket for this team. Absolute revelation. And you know, they just they have different guys step up every night. Bynum was was critical in this game. Durham's been huge for them throughout the season. I I still really like Horkler. I mean, I you said he didn't make any shots. Like box score says that's correct. You know, he's two for five, two, 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 one for seven for the field, two points. But watching that game, I felt like he made an impact. I felt like he was pretty, you know, pretty solid. Yeah, his uh, defense is, has solidified. He, he's he's making some really nice passes this year, high-low action, feeding Watson the post. And he, even last year when, when he stunk, um, he was an excellent rebounder. He, he's always been an excellent out-of-his-area rebounder, going up and grabbing the ball out of the air with with uh, two hands. Um, and so obviously need to get his shooting back going because he, he was shooting the lights out before the last couple of games. Um, yeah. But you know they they have eight really solid guys, uh, you know eight eight guys who I feel comfortable with having them on the court, having them starting. The uh, defense is is better than the than the T rank numbers in in the metrics indicate. The offense is probably a little worse than than those in, indicate as well. Uh, you know in, in the UConn game, I mean they missed a ton of free throws, a ton of front end of one and ones, um, so they really could have won that game by even more if they. Just cleaned it up a little bit, but we're 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 kind of fortunate that Georgetown game get, gets wiped off the schedule, and you got home Seton Hall on the 29th, and we'll you know we'll see if they play that, but that should be a great game between two ranked teams. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Seton Hall is coming off has come off pause, like it seems like they will be trading that direction. I'm hoping to make the trip for that game. Have not 1,000% locked in my travel plans, but. There's some, some stuff up in the air. URI is on pause. I want to go to URI. So, like, 
if there's only one game, do I drive it out? We'll see. But even you know, like Boston College is on pause now too. So. Yeah, a lot of the northeastern schools are, and that's I mean that's where Omicron's really hitting, so it's not surprising. But and then just for for, for UConn, yeah, I want to touch I mean, on UConn. Yeah, obviously missing Sonogo, but you know they they get Martin back, and you know Cole, Cole didn't have one of his best games shooting scoring the ball, uh, but you know they they need more from their auxiliary pieces, right? They they need more from Gaffney, who was not very good in this game at all. Uh, Andre Jackson was was good. He he hit a couple of shots, made some nice defensive plays as well. But Polly was ice cold. Hawkins was ice cold. I know the the, the fans are shaking their 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 fists at the sky, wanting uh, Razzle Dickens to play, um, but doesn't seem if he's not playing at this point. I mean, who's he playing over? I mean, it would be Gaffney or Polly. Um, you know, you know, pl- you know, take taking some of their minutes, but like in this Villanova game tonight, Jordan Longino gets his first opportunity, you know, to to, to play in a close game, and he immediately has like a boneheaded turnover. Um, so so a lot of these freshmen are 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 really struggling, even the kind of bona fide top top fifty types. Yeah, I mean the thing with UConn for me is like, I believe that they're a good basketball team. Me too. My eye test tells me they're good. They're really athletic. They play really hard. But something is missing for them late in games. And I think part of that is they don't have a go-to offensive option without Sonogo. Like, if RJ Cole's your best player, how good are you really? Right? And Cole has proved a lot of people wrong. I think he's been better, you know, in his career at UConn than I think a lot of people would have anticipated. But I don't. I still don't watch RJ and say, yeah, that's the best player on a top 25 team. So they need to know, go back. And I think once he's back, it'll help them. But look, I mean, every big game they've played has been close. And, you know, they're pretty much 500 in the big games, right? They win an overtime against Auburn. They lose tight one to Michigan state. They win an overtime against VCU. They lose a tight one to West Virginia. They win a tight one against St. Bonaventure. And then they lose tight one to Providence. I mean, for the most part, they're right in every game. They're physical. They're tough. They're really good on defense. They just need a little bit more to, to get over the hump. And uh, we are, unfortunately, recording as they play Marquette. So we will not necessarily have that result in. But I think they're okay. I, I just don't know that I buy them as, like, a Big East winner. No, I think I think that they'll still be, like, a top 20-ish team. I don't know if the metrics will say that or if they'll get there in the AP poll. But, I mean, they're that, that a West Virginia game, Lumen Large, is just one that they just – completely gave up but they they have the win over auburn uh which auburn is rolling since battle for atlantis michigan state who, who they lost a close game to on thanksgiving also rolling Robins playing well you know west virginia i was kind of turning my nose up at as like a bubble team but you know every week you know as we get into conference play i I like to do like a mock predicted bracketology, like not using any numbers or anything, just kind of sizing up the teams. What, where do I think it will end up just so I can get a, a pulse on which teams are going to have to be in or which, you know, I had like seven teams. I thought were, were going to be four seeds and stuff. Um, but West Virginia is looking like a solid eight seed right now. So, no, you know, nothing crazy on a UConn's resume. They'll be fine. I think that they'll win. You know, if if they 
play all their games. I think they'll go at least like 12 and 8, 13 and 7 in in, in the Big East and get a you know five or six seed in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I I generally agree. I think they'll be fine. Um, I'm not I'm not necessarily panic panicking by any means, setting off any alarm bells. It's just I think there's there's been some meat left on the bone uh, for for this UConn team. Let's bounce back to uh, uh, let, let's stay in the Big East, excuse me, because we had uh, you know a couple of pretty significant games, including one that finished just before our our recording uh, with Xavier and Villanova. And I think this gives a good opportunity to talk about kind of where Villanova stands because. You saw good Villanova in the second half, bad Villanova in the first half. We've seen bad Villanova against Creighton, bad Villanova against Baylor. Bad Villanova is when Villanova does not make threes, they're not very good. Villanova was one for 10 for three in the first half in this game. They were 10 for 50 in their previous two games. And when that happens, they really struggle to create offense. They really struggle to get good looks. And that's because Gillespie is not overly explosive. Justin Moore is solid, but has not taken the next step. Brandon Slater has regressed throughout the season from that early season start where he was incredible. You know, they just don't have a guy that can go get one. And I just felt like today you saw that in the first half, you saw those struggles. And then as Xavier started missing shots and as Villanova started making threes, the Wildcats were able to come back and Caleb Daniels gave them some big minutes, especially the second half making shots. I thought Xavier looked really good when they were you know, shooting the ball from three. And then it just, it kind of fell apart on them. Do you think Villanova right now is the favorite to win the Big East? Yes. I never wavered on that. Okay. I was I was really starting to. And I saw Villanova at like a five and a half point favorite on, on Bovada this morning. And I was like, man, that feels like a lot of points. And I'm glad I stayed away because that felt like a lot of points against the Xavier team that had been excellent. And at halftime, I would have felt great holding a five and a half ticket, but I couldn't. Could I, I didn't pull the trigger, and I'm glad I didn't because Xavier really folded in the second half. I still like the Xavier team. I think they're athletic, they're deep. I think they're the most talented team in the conference, quite frankly. But you know, I, I think Villanova is the most kind of disciplined. You still trust them the most over any other team in the league. Right. I don't know if the Big East has a top ten team, at least a team that. I'll crack the top 10 of the, the polls, but I think that they have five top 20, you know, five teams between like 11 and 25. Uh, and I think Villanova, I think I have the most faith in them. Obviously, the shooting is going to bounce back to the mean. The issue with them, right, they they do their like very cerebral, their jump stops and they're kind of probing and stuff. They just need someone to just get to the basket. Someone just do something aggressive something a little wild and just get to the rim. And, you know, against like UCLA and even Purdue, that that, that didn't seem to be a problem. Uh, probably because Slater was, was, was playing better. And, you know, Dixon, Dixon has, has, has bounced back after a, kind of a rough patch in the middle. But I think Caleb Daniels could actually be that guy for them. The guy that can just come in and just do something aggressive and, and, and get a bucket. You know, during that Baylor game uh, where they're just kind of – barely even getting a piece of the, you know, not even the paint, you know, they could barely get a piece of inside the arc and they're just firing up these threes or turning it over. I thought Caleb Daniels had a really nice drive from the corner to finish. I think it was an and one, like the end of the first half. Um, and, and that kind of opened my eyes to both the Creighton game. And in this game, he, he's someone who who's willing to make a more aggressive play than, 
Samuels, Moore, and Gillespie, who, who played the cerebral game. Um, but it's, it's ultimately, and kind of more often than it should be, a, a tentative game. And without Brandon Slater hit, hitting shots, he, he he's the only guy who's such a good athlete. He could be a kind of an athletic disruptor getting to the basket. But until he finds his form again, I think it's going to be Caleb Daniels who's going to spark this offense. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I was really underwhelmed for Villanova against Creighton. I, I really was disappointed with how they played. I thought Dixon, you said he was very good today. I, I agree with that. I thought he was very poor against Creighton. He was not efficient. Obviously, he made a couple threes, which was big because they couldn't make shots. Like he was, you know, Eric Dixon was the only guy who had multiple threes for Villanova in that game. But Kalkbrenner just dominated that matchup, I thought, at the rim. And he blocked shots and he rebounded the basketball and played a really, really good ball game. And I thought Hawkins played a great floor game. Nempard was solid. Trey Alexander gave them some really good minutes off the bench. We were fortunate to talk to him in a Field of 68 After Dark show. Uh, and then Rati and Dronikishvili uh, had some huge shots, including the dagger. He hit a dagger, yeah. That Unbelievable from like 30 shot. feet out, yeah. Yeah. Um, do we think this was like a one-off, this is the best Creighton can play, you know? Absolutely. I, 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 I watched the game against Arizona State. I watched the game as Iowa State for Creighton. Their offenses get so bogged down all the time. And, and, and it wasn't really bogged down in that Villanova game. And guys hit shots that they haven't been, haven't been hitting earlier. So they kind of played above their head. You know, This is a weird Creighton team where they play really hard. They're actually pretty solid on the defensive end. They got Kalkbrenner at the back. But they have a lot of turnovers, a lot of offensive sloppiness, and, and they, they haven't been shooting the ball well. Uh, Alex O'Connell especially has been looking a lot better going to the basket than shooting threes. Uh, but, you know, they hit shots against Villanova. I don't have the stats in front of me, but kind of qualitatively it felt like they were hitting a lot of shots. And it wasn't really a 20-point game. It was more like an eight-point game that just kind of it's got a hand at the end. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I will say this. I, I felt like... I felt like Creighton showed you some things. Like I, I think they can be an NCAA tournament team. Oh yeah, definitely. You know, I think with Cockbrenner, with you know, these young guys are just finding themselves, right? And I thought that, you know, they they finally had a game where all the young guys played well in one game, except for maybe Kaluma. And I don't think Kaluma did anything bad. He just didn't do anything good. And you know that 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 Arizona State loss is going to come back to bite them because they they had a ton of chances at the end. Their only other losses are to undefeated Colorado State and Iowa State. I mean, if they won that Arizona State game and then beat Villanova, you know, they might be ranked this week. Um, instead, you know, Creighton's probably going to be like a nine or a ten seed, I think, uh, which is a, a little higher than both of us expected. We had them uh, on the wrong side of the bubble. So it, it, it's certainly tracking in, in the right direction. They have, they have a long way to go, but uh, nice start for this young team. Yeah, they're, they're, they're just scrappy and tough. You know, they're playing for McDermott. You know, I would, I, I would sprinkle, uh, sprinkle a little money on, you know, looking ahead to next year. I would sprinkle some, like, Final Four futures over at, 
at Bovada or wherever you bet. Uh, I would sprinkle some Final Four futures on Creighton next year if they can get a good wing in there. Well, I mean, just just a couple of teams that I've been thinking of their next year and the fact that they need a good wing. I mean, Creighton, Syracuse, Providence. I'm sure there's a million other ones. Um, so so the competition for the good wing is going to be fierce. You're going to need a good wing. Absolutely. But, you know, we're going Nemhard and then the two, either Alexander or Rotsi, and the, the other one's the sixth man with that good scoring wing plus Kaluma and Kalkbrenner. And then off off your bench, you'll have the other one of Rotsi and Trey. You'll have Mason Miller coming off a red shirt. You'll have Sharif Mitchell as an eighth man. That's a solid group. A lot of raw recruiting talent, a lot of guys who cut their teeth and get, to get experience this year. Kalkbrenner is really making a move. I know I, in the preseason I was kind of upset that a lot of the defensive centers weren't getting enough credit. And, and I was thinking, you know, a guy like Kalkbrenner or a guy like Obiagu maybe could work their way, uh, or, or or Brandon Carlson could work their way into top 100 lists as as the year went on. Um, not sure about Obiagu or Carlson yet, but I think Kalkbrenner's making a real case to be considered like a second team All Big East level guy. Absolutely. I mean, he's been really good. He's getting better as the season goes on. Big time stuff. Big time stuff. Um, can we move on to Kentucky, North Carolina? Yes, I, I you, did not watch you, any of this game. I was watching UConn and Providence, but I went, I went back and I watched it because I felt like it was important. Given I was starting to have a narrative about both teams, and that game on paper seemed to bucket, and it, it, it really did. I mean. I was ready to like completely hop off the severe wheeler train. I was already pretty much off of it. He was dominant. I mean, he, he just took the game to North Carolina, the whole game and just went to the rim. They couldn't stop him downhill. He was outstanding. You know, Shibway was there. Kentucky's role players were playing really well. And North Carolina was just soft. They were just soft. They didn't really want to guard. I, I don't know what, what happened there, but you know, did not assuage any of the concerns about this Carolina team. Um, on the defensive end that we've had. I mean, Kentucky's offense looked predictable against against Notre Dame. They looked completely, you know, easy to easy to guard. And, you know, Seville earlier, I mean, part of it, I think, is Severe kind of took matters in his own hands and said, look, you know, I've, I've heard what you said about me. I can go play. But, like, man, oh, man. I mean, he was just, like, every possession he was in the lane. It was unbelievable. How on the UNC side, what's what's going on here? Is it that I severely overrated Dawson Garcia? Is it the fit? Is it, I mean, uh, Kerwin Walton you know, was moved out of the starting lineup for that two-guard look at Lovin Davis. Is it? They're not getting enough backcourt pop. You know, what, what's going on here with the Tar Heels? I watched a lot of their game today, actually, against App State. I was kind of bouncing with Ben Villanova. Um, Love looks really good. Um, like, not as a point guard. Like, there's, he's fully a, score, a shooting guard now. But he looks like he could be a really good one. Um, like, really scoring the ball, really confident. You know, I... 
I, I think that he's fine. There's just something missing on the wing, right? Like, like they're like Leaky Black and Justin McCoy. It's not enough at the three to win this, you know, win these games. Is it Justin McCoy playing the three? There was a stretch where I turned it on and Justin McCoy was playing the three, Brady Manning was playing the four, and Baycott was playing the five. Jeez. Their best lineup was definitely Baycott, Manic, four or five. Dawson Garcia was really bad against App State. He was not very good against uh, Kentucky either. I just don't know. Like Every time I turn on North Carolina, I get something different. And it's frustrating. It really is. But, and again, I mean, that's, I still don't know that there's another team I would bet on to be at second in the ACC over them. But I would love someone to make the case because, I mean, I, again, who else? NC State just got handled by Wright State, who's down this year. Yeah, I was never buying them. You know, Virginia Tech's net is now inflated because they knocked the living crap out of St. Bonaventure. Yeah, they, they uh, stole St. Bonaventure's lunch money. It was like a 46-point game at one point. Absurd. And, you know, the – I, I still stand by my statement that that tech team doesn't have a ton of talent. I agree um, with that. When I made my projected bracket, I had to put it in. I mean, it was either like Virginia Tech or DePaul or San Diego State. Um, or like buying that Drake's going to win out the rest of their games. So there, there is a, a pretty solid chance that the ACC get, gets, get, gets four teams. But Wake Forest is kind of been anointed at least based on their clean resume but they've played one of the weakest strength of schedules in, in the country i'm not sure that they ha- have a road win i don't know if that's accurate or not but they haven't obviously beaten anyone of consequence in the road because they've only beaten northwestern at at home at, as as their kind of signature win here their only loss is to lsu which isn't a bad loss but we we got to see more from Wake Forest. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm not, like, there yet. I think they're impressive, like, with what they've been able to do. But oh, did, a, did, a, did they beat uh, the the Hokies on the road? They did. They won that game 80-61. I was going to correct oh. you there. Whoops. But, yeah. I mean, it's – again, like, it's so tough. Louisville was really I – don't, I don't know if you watched any of Louisville, Western Kentucky, Brad. No. Louisville was – just kind of overwhelmed. Like they look like the worst team. They didn't look like they had better talent than West Kentucky. And again, West Kentucky shot the lights out. West Kentucky shot nine of eighteen for three. But West Kentucky's not bad. But it's like like Louis like Louisville is far from a lock to make the MCLA tournament right now. Oh, I think I, I think the odds are not in their favor, right? I mean I agree with that. I agree with that. I mean Chris Mack's seat is is really warming here. It really is. Oh I I was thinking about this yesterday, actually. If if Maryland pulls like a nice high major coach for their job, whether it be Willard, Enfield, Cooley, whoever, West Miller, whoever, would you rather have Chris Mack or Rick Pitino? Like like say for what? Kevin Willard goes from a from Seton Hall to Maryland. For for Seton Hall, would you rather have Chris Mack or Rick Pitino? Rick Pitino. 
That's a tough one for me. Are you betting on the longevity of of getting longer Chris Mack? Or you get longer Chris, Chris Mack? I mean, his 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 Xavier tenure was legit awesome. I mean, he had number one seed. He made a elite yeah, eight. You know, one of the best five basketball coaches of all time. But and you, Chris you, Mack is about to miss you'd only get him for like three or four years, huh? You'd only get Patino for what, like four or five years at most, probably. But I mean, Chris Mack. Chris Mack about to miss the tournament two years in a row, Louisville. Right? Like, it, I, I'm a believer in Chris Mack. I don't think he's a bad coach. But at some point, that job has – you have it made there. You have it made. That is one of the most game-ready, win-ready jobs in America. And with the exception of one team with an inherited star in Jordan Wara, what are they? I think he's definitely getting fired after this year. Yeah, I mean he's done. I mean, with the unless this administration changed, the AD got uh, moved on, the president moved on, unless that causes havoc. I mean, it, it has to be the end. Even if you sneak in the NCAA tournament, it has to be. Really, like really think about who, like who, who is the team. Or excuse me, who who is the player that, that Chris Mack is recruited to Louisville as a high school player, not Carly Jones? So you're like, man, that was a big time difference maker. That was a great recruit for Chris Mack. So he didn't recruit Jordan Awara, right? That was that was a Mack recruit. Okay, or a, a Pacino recruit. Excuse me. Okay, um, it's tough because they had so many transfers. Like maybe preseason you'd say, oh, I'm feeling a big Jalen Withers breakout, but he's not been good. I mean, right. even the transfers, right? You have a great pickup with Carlick Jones. Then all all their transfer guards this year have been underwhelming. Kind kind of the uh, mid major transfer point guard this year as a whole has been has been troubling. Really, yeah. Um, let me, I'm just pulling, I want to pull Louisville's classes. Um, so Chris Mack's first class would have been the 18th class, I believe, which they didn't sign any high school players in. Um, the 19th class was Chris Mack. This was his big class with Samuel Williamson, Aiden Iggy Han, David Johnson. Okay. So David Johnson's your good one. Yeah. But even David Johnson averaged what? 11 points a game in the ACC. He's a good player. I mean that that could be evidence to the point that we we can never forget is that the NBA draft catches up to everybody. No no program is immune from losing guys to early entry, right? Because I mean I, I'm sure if David Johnson was on this team, I'm sure Louisville would be fine. Like I'm sure if Trey Murphy was on Virginia, they'd be fine too. Think about how good Providence would be with David Duke. Even though every time that a Providence player talks to the media, they have to mention that there are no egos this year, like like there was last year. Which 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 feels like a little David Duke slander to me. Oh, it's for sure David Duke slander. <laughs> the other recruit you can mention for Chris Mack that he was able to he was able to sign that didn't wind up helping him as much was Jay Scrub. Right. But like again, like. 
think about the guy like David Crude is so, so, so he he's had three full class of high school kids that he had like full tenure to prove to recruit. So this class is Roosevelt Wheeler, Mike James, L. Ellis, Sidney Curry. James 20, is hurt. Ellis yeah. has been fine. Curry hasn't been in the rotation. And Wheeler, I guess, might might start now. I I I saw somebody tweeted that today that Max said on his radio show that Wheeler might start. So and then DeAndre Davis, JJ Trainer, Gabe Wisnitzer. Wisnitzer was a bad pull. Yeah, that was that was rough. The, the minute I first watched him, I was like, oh my god, I can't believe Providence is recruiting this guy. And it's like, oh, going to Louisville. And then six kids in the 19 class: Williamson, Iggy Hahn, Johnson, Nickelberry, Withers, and Sklasinski. Jeez. And that was the class, right? That was the class that everybody hyped up. Yeah. It was a top 15 class in the country. Five-star Williamson. Star McDonald's All-American. He is disappointing. Williamson. Iggy yeah. Hahn was a mess. I mean, never useful. I don't even think he's playing that much at Grand Canyon. Like, I I think I watched Grand Canyon not too long ago. And I wasn't like, oh, wow, Aiden Iggy Hahn. He's averaging four points a game. You know, and, and Nickel Berry went down to what, LaSalle? LaSalle. Jalen Withers is solid. Slazinski. He, he, he is, is majorly regressed, though. Yes. Jalen Withers. And, and Slazinski is at, at Iona now, playing like the wing, shooting threes, and selling merch that says, I hate Quinn Slazinski. And then trainers out of the rotation. So, I mean, I, I think at the end of the day, like, isn't that kind of where the rubber meets the road here? That Chris McIntosh not recruited good enough players to be successful at Louisville? Which is crazy, but... It's true. Did you know that Samuel Williamson is the fourth highest rated recruit in program history? Per Who's number one? Uh, Samardo Samuels? Hold on. I got to get it back. Well, number three is very funny. Wait, number three is... It's, it's very funny. Oh, is it Shane Behannon? No, it's Brian Bowen. Brian Bowen. <laughs> Number one is Samardo Samuels. Number two was Sebastian Telfair. Oh, another guy who who, yeah. who never showed up. And number five is Amir Johnson, who I'm pretty sure didn't show up. I thought number Shane six, Behannon was a five-star. Number six was Shane Behannon. And then, wait, seven was Wayne Blackshear? No, no. Seven was Earl Clark. Eight was okay. VJ King. How about that for Ooh. a disappointing name? Malik Williams was top 10. Wayne Blackshear was top 15. Same with uh, Donovan Mitchell. Terry Rozier, Peyton Siva, Dang Adele, Quentin Snyder. Yeah, these were all the guys that, that they got that, that were really good. So, anyway, that's enough on Louisville. That's enough on the ACC. We really shouldn't spend any more time in this drag of a conference. But it's not very good right now. It's just, again, that's the bottom line. Um, I did want to mention... Arkansas, which I think kind of got overshadowed the fact that they've now lost back-to-back games, one by 20 to Oklahoma and then uh, one by eight to Hofstra and then just bounced back and beat Elon. But where is the concern level right now for the Razorbacks? Who I know that I know preseason, I put a little bit of money, not a ton, a little bit of money over on them to win the SEC over at the uh, Bavada Sportsbook. I had them 25th in the preseason, which was pretty low, but you know, they got a, 
Now, now the SEC will afford them plenty of opportunities. I mean, there's there's a real like top seven, bottom seven going on there with with the SEC, but you know, even some of those bottom seven teams could be quadrant one on the road. And you know, Arkansas's resume is used to be clean, you know, even with a loss at at Oklahoma or neutral court, whatever that was. It's a clean resume, but now that Hofstra loss is a bit of a hole. I haven't seen them play yet. Uh, they haven't even played, you know, they 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 haven't really played a game worth watching. I'm guessing that you have seen them play. Is that true? I have a little, not a ton, and not not as much as not as much as I would have liked. I think the challenge right now with them is that. Like, there's a lot. There's way too much on Devo Davis. Devo Davis is not a good enough player to be the best player on a team. And I'm not sure J.D. Note is either. And we certainly know Chris Likes isn't. And right now, it's like those three guys competing to be the best player. They've gotten, you know, a jump from Jalen Williams, but it hasn't been the jump I think people would hope to be, you know, the star. K.K. Robinson's been a real disappointment. You know, Umude has not been great. Tony has been solid. They don't look like a they don't they don't look like a elite top twenty five caliber team talent wise right now. You know, I I was actually having a conversation with the guy who's you know he he's a Division one assistant coach and you know, follows Arkansas pretty closely. Kind of got, you know family ties there. He said, you know, the the one thing I will say about when you build a team through the portal of all mid-major guys is one day you look up and you have a team of mid-major players. And right now, I think Arkansas is sort of running into that. I think they're good enough to get back, you know, get to the end of the summer, figure it out. I trust Moss, but, like, they got they gave up 89 points to Hofstra. That's a problem in Little Rock. That is crazy, and and I do think that Arkansas ends up making the tournament just because you know kind of what I said with the ACC, where I still think they'll get four. Is you, you really have to fill the field, and you know there's not a ton of teams to even choose from. Now maybe we have another team to choose from in, in, in Davidson after they just knocked off Alabama, uh, their their first top 100 win of the season, uh, and their losses are, are are pretty clean for the most part. Just New Mexico State and in in San Francisco, but. Yeah, if if Arkansas wins, what, so they play 18 games in the SEC? I mean, if they win 11 SEC games, they probably earn enough equity along the way to get in. So I wouldn't uh, I, I, I wouldn't be buying Arkansas stock right now, I, but I wouldn't be jumping off the ship either. Yeah. Tournament is not guaranteed, agree. certainly. I probably agree. Where where would you like to go next, Brad? So we did that Villanova Creighton. Um, how about a little eight eight ten? Yes. So so St. Louis blew it against Auburn. I watched the end of that game. We had Davidson just got the win over Alabama. R- Richmond's kind of held serve, and then we have um, the Bonnies got their doors blown off. So are are you? Recalibrating the A10 at all? I had a lot of people like 
tweeting like, yeah, like the Bonnies are are done. You know, they they don't they can't get in that large bid or whatever. The resume really doesn't say that's the case. Like, the resume is fine. Their net's gross, so that's the issue. Right. Well, the no, I, I think the big issue, Brad, is that they're just not playing good basketball right now. Right? Like at some point you have to play well. St. Bonaventure does not play like an at-large team right now. There are a lot of mid-majors over the years you've watched it. That that team looks good, but you know, they get out of the resume. So you might have the resume right now. They're not they're not playing good basketball. And, and that's what that that's what that's to fix. They have to be there has to be a renewed focus. They have to get much better on defense. They have to get more from their bench. Their guards have to play better. I mean, the you know, down the west, they just have to be better. Um you know, that being said, I still think they'll be in the they'll be in the mix. I think Davidson has to be the favorite right now. Right. You know, obviously I went over Alabama's huge. What an opportunity, first of all. I mean, just kind of out of thin air because of Colorado State going out. Kudos to Nados for playing that game. There's no reason he had to take on the A-10 favorites for just like no, like all upside, no downside, or all downside, no upside. Like what was he gaining from a Q2 game over Davidson? Nothing, but he played it. And I think he probably learned something out of his team. But Davidson really, really struggled late with the pressure from Alabama. But, you know, they, they hit 50% of their threes and, you know, Lawyer had eight assists. The the front court duo with uh with Bradchkovic had he had 20, 22 and seven. You know Hyunjin Lee can really shoot it. This is a very good basketball team, a dangerous team in the Atlantic Ten that can be a factor in March against good good teams as long as they shoot the ball from three. I'm still thinking one bit a ten though. I mean at this point Davidson's resume is pretty darn good. Because Davidson's worst loss is New Mexico is New Mexico State on the neutral, which there's a good chance it's Q2. They have a neutral loss to San Francisco. They're gonna enter A10 play with no Q2, Q3, Q4 losses, a Q1 win over Alabama, and then maybe maybe you get some equity from. You probably not. I mean, you're thinking maybe he gets something from like Penn or East Carolina. It's probably not happening. So you're basically going to be like one and Q1, O and two Q2 entering a 10 play. If they go 14 and four in the league, that's probably not a large team. And then they'll they'll have to do that and then lose in the conference tournament. But um, kind of a underreported thing. I mean that. That win for Davidson added even more credibility for San Francisco. Oh yeah, who who had a a, a good week, but I, I'm sure the Don's fans are just killing themselves over like a one point loss over Grand Canyon. Won't won't be a bad loss, but again, missed opportunity. Kind of similar to the West Virginia UConn thing, but I mean that was when you could easily won. You'd still be undefeated. You're probably ranked. Yeah, they need to beat Southern Illinois on uh, tomorrow. They win that game. They go into assuming they beat the Academy of the Art. Um, then they go into St. Mary's and Gonzaga back to back at I think twelve and one. That's pretty good. Is and kind of staying in mid-major territory. Did uh, did you watch any of the LSU Louisiana Tech game? 
I did not. I heard it was crazy though. I watched a good chunk of it. What was up with so so they played at Bossier City, I think it was called. I didn't know what what arena that was that that they were playing at. Didn't seem to be Louisiana Tech's logo. It just had like the name of the arena at at, at center court. I didn't know if you had any. I have, I have no insight into that, other than that Bossier City is a real thing. Yeah. It's a, the yeah. arena is called Brookshire Grocery Arena. Like Who plays team. there? No idea. Maybe Bossier Parish Junior College. Plays in that big arena? Maybe. Yeah. It was strange. What do you think of LSU? They uh, re- really turned it on late with their athleticism and their size. I love Brandon Murray. He plays with such power. I, I've i loved uh, Tari Eason ever since seeing him at Cincinnati last year. The Eason-Reed combo at the five is... Probably one of the better center combos in the country. You have Henson Darius Days who can play some five. You've got, you know, Fudge who's long and athletic, and Murray Wilkinson's physical. Big physical. Wilkinson. I mean, they're a Eric Gaines is Eric Gaines is not big nor physical. He might be the skinniest player in college basketball. They're a uh, monster on He's six two one fifty. Yeah, I hate that. <laughs> Even a Xavier Pinson's small too, but you know. The role allocation looks good. They've been playing super well, obviously. I'm I'm not 100% sure sure that they're like a top 25 team. I think that the the SEC is very similar to to the Big East, where they just have a ton of teams like in that 11 to 25 range. Like I think all those SEC teams, you know, Auburn, Bama, Kentucky, LSU. I I feel very confident that. Those teams are in that same 11 to 25 range as well. I'm not 100% sold on Tennessee. They have a great Ken Palm mark now. I think they're like ninth in Ken Palm. Yes. I'm not sure what they are in T rank, but I, I'm not totally sold on them being top 25. And then Florida and Arkansas have taken some gruesome losses. Uh, where I think that they're both probably going to make the tournament, but it's going to be a little, little, little shaky. I think. I think Florida may have that top 25 talent, but they just haven't been playing like that. Yeah, they've been they've been very disappointing of late after what we saw to start the year. Did you watch Texas Tech and Zaga at all? Uh, just, just a couple of minutes, and the game got out of hand. Not necessarily a surprising result, particularly without Terrence Shannon. Yeah, Terrence Shannon is very, very good. And you know, Providence beat Texas Tech by going to his own. Seems like Gonzaga did the same thing. I think uh, I think our fr- our friend uh, friend of the podcast Clarence Naldoni needs to uh, find a lower level. He didn't do it for you. He can't do anything on offense. I mean, he's 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 a pathetic offensive player. I don't even think he played in the, in the Providence game. He played 29 minutes in this game. Oh, it's almost like that they missed not having a point guard. Maybe. Well, now he's not doing it for him. He's got a he he took three shots in 29 minutes, made one of them, had two rebounds, two assists, and two turnovers. Playing that floor game. The I've been surprised. Santos Silva has been like fading some from the rotation, and Bacho has really been coming on. He's yeah, well, he, he's not soft. He's he's tough. 
Yeah, Bacho is very big too. Physical. He he I mean, in person, I mean, he looks enormous. And Bryson Williams is very skinny. Kevin O'Banner is not super big. Uh, he has more size than uh, Bryson Williams, but Bacho gives him someone with a lot of height and a lot of a lot of bulk. Where Santos Silva is only like six seven and he brings bulk, but seems like Bacho's the better fit for 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 matching up against bigger teams. Texas Tech held the 55 points in this game. Again, the offensive struggles in the biggest games, right? 68 points against Providence. But in that game, they shot 38% for the field. They turned it over 18 times. You know, 57 points in an overtime game against Tennessee. That was with Terrence Shannon. And then 55. I mean, they. I need to see more from this offense before I'm a believer in, in Texas Tech. Yeah, I think Texas Tech is top 30 team, definitely. Top 25, I'm not quite there yet. Yeah. Yep, I, I don't think they've shown – they haven't proven anything to me that I we didn't know about them. Who do you trust more, Florida or Texas Tech? Texas Tech. Because I know the effort's going to be there every night. Fair enough. What other games did you watch this week slash weekend? I watched the whole second half of Dartmouth and Stanford. Oh, are are we subjecting the listeners to this? I mean, Dartmouth was way they 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 were up comfortably. They were up like seven with a minute left, or like forty seconds left. Stanford does like two possessions of full court press, and Dartmouth just melts and gives away the game. My uh, legend, Brennan Barry. Couldn't make, couldn't make enough happen, I guess. Sienna uh, legend, and, Brendan Berry. Brendan Berry wanted to go to Sienna, and Sienna wouldn't offer him a scholarship. They wanted him to walk on for his first year and then get a scholarship after that, and he wouldn't do it. And now every now, now Sienna fans always complain that Brendan Berry, like, I mean, Brendan Berry keeps being in the portal, so people keep being like, why doesn't Sienna get Brendan Berry? Well, I don't know. Maybe because it's like three coaches ago that there was a relationship there. But Harrison Ingram had, had had a good game late. They went to him for the game tying basket, and then in overtime he uh, he really balled out. I think it went over. I, I mean, it, it it was last Thursday. It feels like it was twelve months ago. It did go to overtime. Harrison Ingram finished with thirteen points, seven rebounds, two assists. Jaden Delaire led the way with twenty-two points. Yeah, Ingram was there. I don't like Delaire. He has good size, but he's kind of awkward. I like the idea. He has a lot of power. Yes. He's not my type of power forward. I like that he's gotten a lot better. Guys who improve are my thing. Seems like Ingram might be a one and done at this point, though. Yes. Another guy who's definitely getting fired is Jared Haas. You would think. Randy Bennett for Stanford? I was thinking James Jones, but if Randy Bennett wants to leave, go for it. Randy Bennett, you could do Todd Golden. Absolutely. I mean, San Francisco's rolling. How about you? um, You could do Kyle Smith. In in my head, I was always thinking of Arizona State as like a pretty attractive job. Um, Jeff Goodman tweeted today, like, 
Bobby Hurley's made two of the five NCAA tournaments that he's been involved in. And then the previous coach, Herb Sendek, made like two of nine. And like every past like four coaches, the past 40 years, they've made like a total of like seven NCAA tournaments. So it is surprising. not as good of a job as I thought. It's it's gotten better, I think. And Hurley may be hot. Hurley has not done himself any favors, certainly. Hurley, the problem with Hurley is he's always been a guy that underachieves his talent. Like even at Buffalo, like he got good players, he just didn't he didn't do enough with it. Where you're always left wanting more. So when all of a sudden you stop winning, you know, it's one thing when you have you know, Remy Martin, or you have who is the kid? Who are the kids on that team? Trey Holder, Cody Justice, and yeah, and when you have Trey Holder, you know, and, and you you're a bubble team instead of a top ten team or a top twenty five team. You know, that's disappointing. But at Arizona State, you're never gonna suggest you fire someone. But when you've got tournament talent, not you know top ten talent, top twenty talent. And you're finishing under 500, which is what Arizona State looks like he's going to do. You sort of say, okay, maybe he's not the guy. And Bobby Hurley's going to try to get out if he doesn't get fired. Hey, anything else? I, I mean, we could mention that Oregon State is like 110. That's I think like they're playing now or, or shortly against Nichols. Yeah, that's 11 p.m. on the Pac-12 network. That's, like, that's, unfathomable. That's outstanding. It, it really is crazy. The funny thing is they were 4-26 and 26 the year after their last NCAA tournament bid. And I think Trey Tinkler got hurt that year, but... Yes. I mean, I, I thought Oregon State would come in, like, 11th in the Pac-12, but would be, like, a top 100 team. You know, would, would be, like, 90th. I mean, people talk about what Iowa State's record was last year, but that was with an abridged non-con schedule with fewer bye games. Oregon State, I think they've already lost two bye games plus a game to Princeton. They've lost, I think, more than they lost to. Well, they lost to Samford. Samford, that's a bye. Princeton was, I think, that was a bye. And then Princeton UC Davis. Bye. Um. And then UC Davis. Yeah, I, I'm surprised they haven't played more buys. Yeah, they've played a they played a hardy schedule with uh, Tulsa, Iowa State, Penn State, Wake Forest. But they have two coming up here, Nichols and Sacramento State. And if they don't beat Nichols, they could be staring down like a you know three and twenty seven. That's that's hardly off the table at this point. We should be rooting for a one and thirty. Just to see if his heat could get hot. After making the lead eight? <laughs> I mean, they wouldn't fire him this year. Right. But it would be interesting to see, could he enter next, uh, could he find a way to enter next season on the hot seat? I think it would be perfectly reasonable. I mean, we we were saying in the offseason that – they were recruiting like that. They forgot they made the Elite Eight. And now I, I, I think part of the reason why I think we, we we both did not expect them to be this bad is we thought Deshaun Davis would be like a nice double-figure score. But it's not happening. Yeah, De- Deshaun Davis has been a little disappointing. 
Seton Hall legend, Deshaun Davis. Anything else before we, we wrap up the show and let the uh, let the listeners mercifully enjoy their holidays without hearing us drone on about Dartmouth Stanford in their ear? Is there anything else? I mean, we just got to stop with this corona nonsense. We got to figure out, find a way forward, folks. Find a way. Let's forward. just like eradicate it. Come on. I'm gonna go out. Let's on, wake on, up tomorrow and it's all gone and yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna go out on a on a limb and say that the coronavirus stinks. I don't like the coronavirus. It can come back in mid-April after the college basketball season. It's really demoralizing. <laughs> That's a great even, summary even of your when, priorities, Brad. Even That's a good. game that like you weren't planning on watching, like it gets canceled, like like Kansas Colorado. Like, there was a 0% chance I was going to watch that we game. We were going to be doing it during the podcast, yeah. Well, well, that and, you know, when we're done, I'm going to watch UConn, Marquette. Oh, yeah. Um, but, like, there was no chance I was going to watch that game. And it's still like, oh, come on. Gotta you can't play the game. Oh, oh, could we talk about the Memphis thing? Yes. So, yeah. so Penny says in the preseason, 90% are vaccinated. Then the game gets canceled. He was like, whoops, actually 90% are not vaccinated. But then they, they released a statement today that kind of implied that m- more guys were vaccinated than the initial report coming out of Saturday was. Which is very confusing because I had thought the protocols were if you're vaccinated and you show symptoms, you get tested. If you're vaccinated and you don't show symptoms, you don't get tested. So... But, here, let me try to explain the current college basketball protocol. If you are vaccinated, you are not regularly tested. If you show symptoms and you are vaccinated, you do get tested. If you have positive cases among the vaccinated, uh, among vaccinated or unvaccinated players for any reason, right? So if it's a symptomatic vaccinated test or it's a unvaccinated regular test, surveillance test. If that test comes back positive, you would test the entire team. Once you test the entire team, you could sit back and say, okay, you know, we have enough to play or we don't, right? That would be, that, that's the procedure. So with Memphis, the storyline, the, the story that's been told is that Memphis, you know, basically like Tyler Harris and Landers Nolly, one of the two, their roommates, t- woke up and was sick. So he got tested. He was positive that morning. They tested the roommate. The roommate was positive. Then, because all the players who are unvaccinated still are in contact tracing protocols. So, you know, if, if you're on the team, basically, you're contact traced out. So all the Memphis players who were unvaccinated would have been un, unable to play because they wouldn't have, like, had either negative tests in time or... Or, or like they, they were guaranteed to be contact traced for a minimum number of days, like seven days or something. So the combination of no Harris, no Nolly, potentially injuries, and the va- unvaccinated was enough that they couldn't play. That's that's the only logic that works with this. But as you said, there was a statement that like sort of alluded to the fact that they were more vaccinated than they thought. It's just embarrassing. Can, it, can it, a vaccinated player get contact traced out? What is that? Can a vaccinated player get con- contact traced out? No. Vaccinated players do not get contact traced. 
that the form of contact tracing that you're doing essentially for the vaccinated players, that's the testing component, right? It's like, okay, we're testing. Instead of keeping you out, we're just testing you. But if an unvaccinated player has to be kept out. I listened to the podcast today with Zach Lowe and I guess the former Timberwolves executive who's like a virologist who's like the lead NBA virology liaison. I mean, he was just talking complete nonsense. He was like, we need to applaud the NBA for thinking about the community. He was like, he's like, it's not safe to play with a vaccinated player who is asymptomatic but tested positive because he's going to spread it to like grandma and grandpa. But then he's like, the NBA is doing so much for the community while they pack the stadiums full of people. He was just like uh, drinking the Kool-Aid to the extreme. Kind of like the oh. NFL is a bunch of heathens and us in the NBA. We're doing the right thing by making players wear masks sometimes and then they can go on the court. And it is very funny. It, is, it really is. It's all like a PR game, too. Like the whole thing. It's like, oh, yeah, you know, we, we take this seriously. Okay, congrats. Happy for you. Anyway, hopefully we figure it out. Hopefully, hopefully the uh, the case counts turn around in, a, in a, a declining direction generally across the country. That will help us with college basketball. That's the that's the first and foremost thing. If if you have lower case counts, people generally have an easier time being able to avoid players getting tested because they walk the streets every day. But the idea that an NBA player is going to kill grandma feels uh, a little a little preposterous at this point. I'm just gonna just gonna say it, but you know, get get vaccinated, folks. Doesn't feel like it's that that big a deal. Anyway, any uh, anything else, Brad? Any other games? Or do we care about Diamond Head this week? I feel like the field is a little lame. No. I need Diamond. I'm a big Diamond, Diamond Head guy. Usually, be like the 23rd, 25th, and 26th. Playing on the first game, first set of games. On the 22nd is stupid. There's games on the 22nd. Why can't they play on the 24th? Is it college football? I don't know what, what the deal is. I don't know why. There's nothing on the 24th for the NBA either. Yeah, they should they should they should not play on the 25th. They should play the 24th. I I think it's an ESPN. I couldn't agree more. But yeah, this is a weak field. I mean, BYU might be a tournament team. Probably. Wyoming has a nice, pretty net. They get to play Stanford in the first round. Graham E.K., fun player. Liberty's not quite Liberty the past few years. But they're still the best team in the A-Sun. Um, South Florida's throwing darts experiment. Oh, it looks like it's failed. You got to watch. You got This is your opportunity. It's your time to shine. You can watch uh, Jameer Chaplin and... Uh, and then it's Murphy. Vanderbilt without my man Liam Robbins. So... I, <laughs> it, I, I just don't think coaches want to play in Diamond Head because they want to go home for Christmas. So like a, like higher end programs don't want to play in. And like now it's in the middle of conference play for the Big East. Right. And the, That's the other problem. All the twenty team leagues. Yep. Well, well, if you are a college basketball fan and you watch Diamond Head, respect to you. I probably will at some point because that's who I am. 
Well, I hope everyone has a fantastic Christmas. If they celebrate, if they celebrate something else, celebrate, enjoy that as well. Happy holidays, everyone. Brad, we will see you all next week, maybe the week after. We're deciding whether it's going to be worth a podcast to break down. Maybe, maybe there's a, maybe there's like a mid-season podcast we can do that's not a, uh, not directly games related, but we'll, we'll figure something out for you. Appreciate y'all listening, folks. We will uh, see you all soon.